Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. And Matt, since we last did this show a week ago, and we've been spending all winter decrying the lack of action on the hot stove, I counted this up. There have been 19 different moves uh, trades for major league free agent signings, not minor league deals. So I feel like so much has happened. We just kind of got to rip through this list. So we're going to do that. Uh, and then we'll take a break and come back. We'll talk about what's next. We'll talk about how the Hall of Fame inducted nobody. And I feel like it's important to take a quick minute to say farewell to Masahiro Tanaka, who's going back to Japan. But Matt, first, 19 different moves. And we did our best to kind of put these in a rough order of importance. And we have started with JT Romuto. I found this to be completely unsurprising. Like It seemed to me the Phillies absolutely had to do this. And yet I'm sort of torn because they desperately needed to do this, but I still don't think they're very good. And yet they still should have done this anyway. I mean, you can't blame a team for trying to get better, right? This is what the team right. should be doing. You know, he they're a better team now that they have JT Romuto back. Um, it always feels like, you know, whenever you re-sign one of your own guys, it always feels like a little less satisfying. Like it's not like as exciting because they're like, oh, well, he was on the team last year. And that's maybe why it feels like it's a good reminder that, oh, yeah, the Phillies, even bringing back Ramuto, still have some issues because they were, you know, I don't know if they underachieved last year. They were just sort of like mediocre. Well, the, the offense was actually pretty good last year. You know, if you look up and down, they still don't have a center fielder. They still don't have a shortstop. They still don't really have a, a, a rotation. I was thinking about this. They might have the fifth best rotation in the NL East because I kind of like Miami's rotation. Um, Romito is either the best catcher in baseball or tied with Yasmani Grandal, depending on how you choose to value these things. 36 homers after the last two years. Five years is reasonable for a guy who's, you know, that's going to be his age 30 to 34 seasons. The the thing that was interesting to me is now that he's been signed, uh, you know, you kind of go back and this this was a guy that Mets fans wanted, right? And they went with James McCann instead, four years and 40 million. And I've never been super high on McCann. And do you think looking back that changes uh, the calculus for the Mets knowing this is what he signed for? Or is like they just had to get the guy when they got the guy? I think, I mean, it's hard to disassociate this from all the other moves. Um, and I think that's kind of where it gets tricky. Like in a vacuum, of course, I would take Ramuto over um, over McCann. But then they went and they traded for Lindor and um, Grasco. And it's possible they still might go out and sign Trevor Bauer. So I think it's like kind of and also who knows how this affects their ability to try and give get a contract extension agreed to with Francisco Lindor. So there's just it's there's so many moving parts to all of this. Um I'm not saying like, I, I'm not going to the Mets saying like, oh, the Mets played this great. But um, if you're the Phillies, you're certainly, you're certainly pleased. Um, you know, for me, I'm always like a little worried about how catchers, you know, five-year deal for a catcher starting with the, his age 30 season worries me a little. Um, I went back and looked at the wild card era of like the best five-year runs by catchers from age 30 to 34. And there are some good ones that if you're a Phillies fan, you could point to and be like, okay, this is like, you know, this is positive. Like Jorge Posada put up 21 war in that period. Um, Mike Piazza, Ivan Rodriguez, of course, those are Hall of Famers. Um, we're putting up like 18, 19 war total in that period. But then you have your Russell Martins and your Yanni Molinos and your Carlos Ruiz that were putting up like 15 to 17 war in that period. So I think that, you know, if you if Ramuto is in that range, and I don't think it's crazy to think of him having, you know, a a Russell Martin um aging curve. I think there are actually some comps there. Um, then you're feeling pretty good about this deal. There are, of course, like the red flags for catchers in their 30s, the most high profile ones. Um, from recent elk are kind of a uh, Buster Posey and Joe Mauer, who basically stopped being catchers and stopped being nearly as good once they hit um, age 30. And the big red flag um, is if you actually go to JT Realmuto's 
most similar players through age 29. Uh-oh. I don't know what this is going to be, but I already don't like it. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy, who uh. I think is actually a, is, is a pretty good comp in terms of like pretty good average, high OBP, decent yeah. pop, athletic catcher, who basically at age 30 was had his last good season at age 30 and then was basically unplayable after that. Obviously, there's a lot of variance of outcomes here. If it was if it was easy to project players, everyone well, everyone would do it. Um, I think this deal works. Yeah, and I think Lucroy, if I remember correctly, uh, ended up with concussion issues, which probably affected him there. My favorite part of the Romuto deal: he signed for an average annual value of twenty three point one million dollars, which chops the previous catcher record that Joe Maurer had set by one hundred thousand dollars per year. I like that. That seemed to be pretty clearly a goal that he wanted to get. All right, next up, we're going to combine the next two moves again. 19 different things have happened since we last talked. I'm not sure 19 things had happened in the first three months of the entire winter. Um, and I think this is only going to continue picking up pace as spring training is still scheduled to start on time. Yankees made two moves. They signed Darren O'Day, a reliever, to a one-year deal, and they traded for Jamison Tyon. And also they officially signed DJ Mayhew, but that had been uh, reported a while back, so we're not going to get to that one. Um, just quickly on Darren O'Day, I really I like him a lot because He's, you know, like a side armor submarine kind of guy. And for the first couple of years of his career, like he's been around for so long, he was on those really good Baltimore bullpens that had like Zach Britton and Brad Brock, Andrew Miller. And he kind of got pigeonholed, pigeonholed into this guy who's like, well, you throw weird. You probably have to be a ground baller through age 29 for him. He had a 21% strikeout rate. And since he turned 30, he has a 29% strikeout rate and it's continued to go up. So like a really quietly good uh, signing for the Yankees and sort of replaces Adam Montavino, who we'll get to in a second. The bigger deal here is Jamison Tyon. And man, I, I, um, I tweeted after that trade that I really liked the Yankees winner and I thought that they were, you know, at a quietly strong winter. And Yankee fans do not agree. <laughs> like they're mad that I'm positive about their team. Oddly enough, people don't seem to think that re, re- signing DJ LeMay, who kind of counts because they already had him, which I think is nuts. And they are, at least this part's reasonable, worried about the uh, durability questions in the rotation. I think that's all fair. But I also think when you look at this trade, I don't think they gave up any like super top end, top 100 prospects here. Like this is a, a trade that I think makes sense for both sides. I didn't agree with that. I think that, you know, for the Yankees, um, Tyon is an upgrade and there's some a little bit of upside there. But I'm I'm with the chorus in that the Yankees rotation has a lot of questions. Our, our own David Adler wrote a wrote a, a piece about their feast and famine rotation today on MLB.com. We talked about it last week as it applies to Corey Kluber and Tyon, you know, he didn't pitch last year, um, recovering from surgery. He barely pitched in 2019. So it's, if, if they're going to play a full season, where are the Yankees going to get innings from? And that's a real question because even if Tyon and Kluber, for example, pitch well, same goes for Luis Severino or Davey Garcia, like how many innings are they actually giving you? Right? Like, so where are they going to get, where are they going to fill the gaps? You know, you assume that Garrett Cole is going to pitch 190 innings plus, I really hope he does, given everything else in the rotation. Like, then you've got a bunch of starters who probably best case scenario are giving you like 130 innings, maybe more like 90. So where are they going to fill the gaps? I think that's the question. And We saw Masahiro Tanaka officially uh, sign back with Rakuten in uh, NPB. And they really could have used him for that reason, just because he's just like a reliable guy. And I think that that's the question that's still an open question for the Yankees. Of course, it's also an open question for their biggest rivals in the division right now. The, the, the risk is undeniable here, but I also count nine different starting options for the Yankees, right? Garrett Cole is the obvious number one. You hope you get 200 innings or more out of him. 
Uh, and then you have Kluber and, and Tyon, who are both like talented guys coming off of injuries. Jordan Montgomery is maybe more of a back end guy who had an elbow injury a couple years ago. Luis Severino is coming off of a Tommy John. He probably won't be ready till the end of the year. Domingo Armand missed the entire season due to a suspension. His status is uncertain, but I assume they'll probably welcome him back. Clark Schmidt is a relatively highly, highly regarded prospect who made his debut last year. They'd like to get something out of him. Uh, Davey Garcia, as you mentioned, also highly regarded, but only 21 years old. And Michael King, who made a couple starts for them last year. I feel like, you know, obviously, if worst case happens, then yes, they're, they're toast, right? But I think out of those nine guys, you can piece together a pretty competent uh, rotation. And I, I guess I prefer that than like, I don't know, another go around with, with Jay Happ. Uh, you mentioned the Blue Jays, so let's actually talk about the two different moves that the Blue Jays made, and I think one makes a little more sense to me than the other. The first one is they signed Marcus Simeon. Uh, they gave him a one-year deal, just over $18 million. He's likely to play second base. And <clears throat> excuse me, you might say to yourself, well, they had a second baseman. They had Kevin Biggio, who was pretty good last year and pretty good the year before, and that's true, but they did not have a third baseman. And I think we had both agreed previously Vlad Guerrero Jr. was not going to be that guy. So now you can put Biggio at third. And maybe you've also got Simeon as a backup at shortstop because Bobashek got hurt last year. And believe it or not, they actually had Joe Panic playing shortstop for a minute, which is, as they say, uh, not what you want. And then the other trade they made, and this was uh, you know last night from our point of view, <laughs> they went and they traded three prospects, not highly regarded prospects, but still, to the Mets for Steven Matz. And they are taking on the entirety of his contract and we had talked for a while that the Blue Jays needed another starting pitcher. And no disrespect to Steven Matz, they, they still do. I mean, I like Hunjin Ryu a lot. I like Nate Pearson's, uh, you know, potential a lot. And then it's like Robbie Ray, Steven Matz, Ross Stripling, uh, Tanner Roark. There are a lot of questions there. As, I think as you said to me last night in Slack, it's like they went out of, the way, out of their way to... <laughs> acquire the least reliable pitchers in baseball in fear i can't imagine watching this team. like i want to see them hit and then i'm gonna like turn the channel when they're pitching except for when we use that it's gonna be a lot of uh, uh pitcher starts where it's like one plus innings you know seven hits right six runs. <laughs> there's gonna be some ugly blue jays games this year the Simeon deal i was surprised Simeon was able to get a contract uh of 18 million dollars after the year he just had granted it was a short season i guess the the blue jays are banking on him returning to his 2019 form where he was a, a top mvp finisher um thinking about 2019 that jumps out is he had by far a career best in strikeout rate um below 14 percent last year he was above 21 percent um which was more in line with his career norms so um the 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 fact that 2009 stands out so much in that regard definitely gives me a little pause about whether or not he's going to be able to recapture that but for a one-year deal especially since it's going to make their defense that much stronger because it takes vlad off of third base um i get it um agreed on the starters they still need they could still use Jake Odorizzi, as could like seven other teams. I mean, poor Steven Matz trying to pitch against that right-handed Yankee lineup. I mean, that's, that is just unfair. Um, the other thing about Simeon is, yes, he had a, what looked like a down year. You know, he had a 92 weighted runs created plus where 100 is league average. But if you look into it a little deeper, um, he played with a, a side injury. I believe it was an oblique that didn't help. He was much better after a really bad first week or two. And if you combine the regular season and the postseason, which which I just did for a bunch of guys, I mean, why are we throwing away, you know, 20 to 30 percent of a guy's season in a year with a shortened regular season and a longer postseason? Uh, he hit well enough in the postseason that he actually ended up being above average by 7 percent. And more than that, if you look past his very bad start. Um, so, you know, a year ago, this guy would have gotten a huge 
free agent deal, and now he's to Toronto for one year. It sort of makes me wonder. I mean, I wasn't surprised at the time, but boy, Oakland really should have given him that qualifying offer because that's exactly what he ended up taking. And now the A's don't have Simeon. They don't have uh, Liam Hendricks. They don't have Tommy Lestella, who we'll talk about in a minute. And all of a sudden, I'm very down on the Oakland A's in the uh, American League West. All right, we have so many more moves to go. This was, I think, one of my favorite ones of all the moves we saw over the last week. The Minnesota Twins signed a shortstop. They signed a Drelton Simmons to a one-year deal. Jorge Polanco is going to move to second. Matt's boy, Luis Rise, is going to be like a multi-positional player. Um, I know a lot of people were surprised, like, oh, well, I thought Jorge Polanco was their shortstop. I saw some Twins writers, most notably uh, Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic, saying for months they were going to try to sign a shortstop. And it makes sense because Polanco has never really been a good defensive shortstop. In 2019, he was the weakest defensive shortstop in baseball based on outs above average. His arm just isn't strong enough for the position. And now he's had two straight years that have ended in ankle surgeries. So you figure maybe that plays up at second. Now Rise can kind of replace Marwin Gonzalez and play over the field. And can you imagine the defense with Simmons at short, Donaldson at third, and Buxton in center, and Kepler in right? And I know you can't really expect all those guys to be healthy at the same time, but I want to pitch in front of those guys. The defense will be great. They really need to bring Nelson Cruz back because yes. you sign Andrelton Simmons purely for his glove. He really can't hit anymore. You know, we stat cast is a stat called barrels, um, which is basically the optimal way you can hit a, a baseball for extra base hits. Um, he had zero barrels last year and six the year before, so he does not hit the ball with any authority anymore. He doesn't strike out. That he's like a, he's become like a like a 1980s shortstop at this point. Um, so the Twins are banking on scoring. If they're going to score runs, they can't basically be punting a lineup spot. And with Nelson Cruz still out there, they really need to bring him back. Yes, and um, I don't know. I kind of have to imagine they will now. I mean, it's still possible the NL will have the DH, but it, it seems very likely maybe it won't. And I also think it's a fallacy that even if the NL does get the DH, that all 15 teams are suddenly running out looking for one because you have some of the bottom end teams who probably don't care. And you have teams like the Mets and maybe the Dodgers who can fill that internally. So um, he you know, might not want to wait for that anyway. And I think you're right. Like it's a perfect fit. They're obviously very happy there. Um, two more moves uh, next on our list. The Nationals signed Brad Hand to a one year deal and they brought back old friend Ryan Zimmerman on a one-year deal. Zimmerman had not played last year. He opted out due to the pandemic. Uh, He played the year before, but he didn't really do all that much, although, of course, he was a a big postseason hero there. He is now, let's see, he is 36 years old, and I guess, um, you know, he's kind of like a platoon bench bat. You know, Josh Bell is their first baseman, and he's a lefty. I guess, actually, he's a switch hitter, isn't he? I can't remember, but that will give him some plate appearances at first, and, you know, the bullpen's actually kind of interesting. Like, I think we're also scarred by the uh, 2019 Nationals bullpen that we just sort of assume that that bullpen's always going to be terrible. But Sean Doolittle's gone. And if you look at who they have down there, Brad Hand, Tanner Rainey, who I really like a lot, Will Harris, who I like, uh, Wander Suero, Daniel Hudson. These guys are pretty good. And while I have a lot of concerns about Hand for the, the next couple of years, his velocity is down a lot and his strikeouts are down and his ground balls are down. For one more year, I think he'll be fine. I kind of agree with you. I, I'm I'm skeptical of him. I saw him, you know, when, when he pitched in the playoffs against the Yankees, again, the lefty, he came in against to face the um the tough righty heavy lineup of the Yankees, and he just looked like toast. It was like, this guy has nothing to get good right-handed hitters out. So that's why I'm sort of like skeptical of him as a capital C closer at this point, but it's a one-year deal. There's a lot a lot made about how he ended up getting more in guaranteed money than than he had on his deal that the um 
the Indians uh, let him go for. He was the Indians basically put they they what are they not what that was not non tender they 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 wait they put him on waivers hoping somebody waivers. else would pick him up and they exactly. didn't exactly um, a ten million dollar contract he got ten point five million from the Nationals of course five million of that is deferred less <laughs> than the Nationals love their deferred money so um, it's not exactly yes he got more but like in today's dollars he got less so um, it's fine for you know one year deal I, I think he's still going to be vicious on lefties and but I just don't trust him against tough right hand hitters. I kind of like what the Nationals have done so far. I mean, they haven't gotten out and gotten anybody big, but they've gone out and gotten all of these like, you know, competent, you know, if slightly flawed sort of veterans on these short deals. So like Hand, you know, Bell, they traded for uh, Kyle Schwarber, John Lester. I'm not that high on John I, Lester. Yeah, they, they, they went for they went for floor. It's like not very sexy to go for floor, you know, where, right. the, you know, where the Yankees are going for ceiling in their rotation. But they, the Nationals added a bunch of high floor guys, and I think they're going to be a, a solid team. They, I thought, were a great fit for JT Romito, right? That would have been so perfect, but that didn't end up happening. Uh, going down our list, we have a team that made three very interesting moves. The Boston Red Sox, who um, I guess they're also kind of going for risk here. Garrett Richards for one year, Kike Hernandez for two years. And the most interesting trade, I think, of the last week, they traded for Adam Adovino from the Yankees. And anytime there's a Yankee Red Sox deal, that's kind of fun. Adovino is a Brooklyn native and he is a uh, he went to school in in Boston at Northeastern. But the funny part is, so the trade was Adovino and a prospect, not Adovino for a prospect, Adovino and a prospect. The Red Sox also got a young pitching prospect simply for taking off his contract. And I know, you know, he did not look good this year. Um, Part of that was because of one really terrible inning. But also, I think he had such trouble throwing strikes that they couldn't really trust him. But if you're the Red Sox, you know, it's it's weird because it's like you just had a really, truly wretchedly poor bullpen. So anything you can do to help fix that is great. But are you also just like helping your hated rival uh, stay under the competitive balance tax, thus giving them more space to make other moves? I guess I mean, I've always thought the whole thing of like, don't trade with your, you know, like teams that are willing to trade with their rivals probably have an advantage because like you can, you know, if you're basically removing X number of teams from the pool that you'll make a transaction with. Um, it's makes it harder to win. Like I used to, you know, in fact, I used to play fantasy football. I could not stand the Dallas Cowboys. So I refused to have Dallas Cowboys on my team, but the Cowboys were good. And it was really hard to win my league without having any Dallas Cowboys on the roster. And that's sort of what it's like when teams are like, Oh, we won't trade with this team. It's like, well, if you can get a, a trade that you think helps you, why not? And like, I had a, I had a, a friend of mine who's a baseball fan. It's like, what are the Red Sox doing? Like they're not rebuilding. They're not. They're, good question. But I, you know what? Like, why not try and keep again? Why, why not try and like, Keep a competitive team in the field. As long as you have, you know, prime Devers, Rafael Devers, and Xander Bogarts on your roster. Not to mention J.D. Martinez, who's probably going to be better this year than he was last year. It's like there's no point. Just tr- you might as well try and like have a decent roster. Like why not? Right? Like Garrett Richards has some upsides. Upside. Kike Hernandez. I'm not really sure. I feel him as an everyday player, but like I like having him on my roster. If Adovino like rebounded it was one of the better relievers in baseball this year it wouldn't shock me like sure like again this is sort of like we were talking about at the top of the show it's like hey why not try to win like this is isn't this the point well right but but are they with these i mean are the red sox a top three team in the american league east no but they're within they're kind of within you know margin of error this i i I always go back to like my favorite david dave cameron piece from fangraphs from like seven years ago which i've referenced on the show many times where he basically outlines like why tanking is pointless because there's just so much variance in terms of like sequencing and all the other like randomness of injuries that like the error bars on projections are really wide. And like, 
there's enough of an error bar on the when you have, especially when you have like two star players in your in their primes, that like the Red Sox being a competitive like playoff contender is not like out of the realm of possibilities. So like you know, why not? Oh yeah, to be clear, I'm not advocating that they blow it up in tech. I'm just saying I don't feel like they've done all that much to improve. Like Martin Perez, fine, you know, out of you know, fine. It's, I don't know. I, I'm still pretty down. Um, on the Red Sox. All right, there were two free agent deals in the National League West of three years apiece. Jerickson Profart of the Padres, Tommy, uh, Tommy Lasorda, Tommy Lastella uh, to the Giants. Let's start with Lastella. I actually kind of like this one. I think three years for him is maybe a little surprising, but he's had like a really interesting career path. He spent five years with the Cubs off the bench, not playing much and not really doing a whole lot. And then he goes over to the Angels. So I dug up these stats this morning. In in five years with the Cubs, he had a 13.5% strikeout rate and a 397 slugging. With the A's and Angels the last two years, a 7% strikeout rate and a 471 slugging. If you can strike out less and hit for more power, that's a pretty cool thing to do. I think that ballpark is a very bad fit for him, uh, as it is for every left-handed hitter. Um, I think they've already got a lefty first baseman in Brandon Belt, but if he can fake it a little bit at second and a little bit at third and at some point over the course of this three-year term, they'll have the DH. Uh, I like it. I think he's, at this point, maybe a little bit of an underrated player. They clearly have put value into him. Yeah, the three-year deal is what st- stood out to me. Um, not because I don't think he's, like, worth it. It's more just, like, players of that type generally don't get three-year deals. Um, but good for him. Uh, Jerickson Profar got three years. Like, you know, the Padres, I guess, had gone, like, ten whole minutes without actually signing anybody. So they felt like they had to. And, you know, you figure that roster. So, you know, Haseon Kim... And Jake Cronenworth, like they don't really necessarily need more flexibility. And yet here they, they have it. He's been, you know, fine. I guess the, the three years is more surprising for Profar than Listella is what I would say. Yep, I think so. It's, as you said, because of their, their roster. But, you know, he's, he's, he's a nice piece. He can, he can play some positions and play a few different positions. And he's a switch hitter. So it's sort of like he's someone that you can, you know, you can find a spot for almost any day. And great can fill in for an injuries. He can fill, you know, like, like he's sort of like he's spackle. Um, and I think that, like, <laughs> this, is not, this is not what was expected when he was, you know, the number one prospect in baseball like nine years ago. But, you know, good for him. He's like made a career for himself and getting a three year deal like rock on. Do, do we have access to the database where they they put the players weekend nicknames? Like, can we go change profiles to Spackle and have that <laughs> pop up on his uniform? now? <laughs> um, let's lightning round a couple of one year deals. Um, it, it was kind of funny, actually, in the middle of Semyon and Simmons signing. Freddie Galvez signed with the, with the Orioles, which kind of like blew up the entire shortstop market, except for Didi Gregorius, who we'll get to in a second. Uh, one year for Freddie Galvez with the Orioles. Last year, they signed to Jose Iglesias, another former Reds shortstop, and that ended up working out pretty well. Iglesias hit well, and then he got traded for prospects. I don't think Galvin's as good of a defender, but he's got more power. And for one year, I mean, hey, the Orioles added a player, a major league player. I liked Galvez's quote. They like asked him, like, you know, why'd you sign with the Orioles? He was like, they were going to let me play every day. You know, you know what? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair. I appreciate the honesty. Fair enough. I would be surprised if we speak about Freddie Galvis or possibly the Orioles again on the show for the entirety of the year. Another one-year deal. This is a guy returning home and someone who I think you had talked up recently on the show. Cesar Hernandez returns to Cleveland for one year. He's been a really like reasonably useful guy for Cleveland and Philly for a number of years. And what's most interesting to me about this is that, you know, when they made that trade with the Mets for Lindor, they got both Med Rosario and, uh, and um, Andres Jimenez. And you short, sort of figured that would be the starting middle infield. And now Hernandez is back. I saw a rumor this morning that maybe the Reds would be interested 
in trading for Rosario. So it certainly seems like these uh, situations are still unsettled. Yeah, I'm a big Cesar Hernandez fan, as, as listeners of this podcast know. So this makes this makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, the Marlins, uh, two-year deal. I thought these were all one-year deals. The Marlins got Anthony Bass. Get all your fish jokes out right now, Anthony Bass. Um, yeah, this one was fascinating to me because this is a guy who's been like around, right? He was with the Padres and then the Rangers and then he went to Japan and then the Rangers and then the Cubs and then the Reds and then the Mariners and then the Blue Jays. And he was fine. Like he's fine. He had a 62% ground ball rate last year, which is pretty good. Uh, but he doesn't stand out in terms of strikeouts or hard hit rate or walks or he's just like, he's a guy, he's a, a league average guy. And I guess you need those in a bullpen. I mean, the, the Marlins bullpen was terrible last year. Yeah. So He's an upgrade. Again, shortened season weirdness. If you look at like his baseball savant page, he's got a lot of red from last year, but we're talking about, you know, like, you know, 20 innings. So <laughs> it's hard to get to get to read too much into it. But again, for the Marlins bullpen, he's an upgrade. The Mets made the free agent pitching signing that everyone was hoping for. Aaron Loop. Aaron Loop is a left-handed, I guess he's like kind of a sidearm-ish kind of guy. He had been with the uh, Rays last year. Uh, surprisingly good, actually. Uh, 22 strikeouts and just four walks he is um i guess maybe going to fill that justin wilson role for now like he, he's actually been kind of quietly useful has added a little bit of velocity as well yeah that's i mean it's he, he hasn't given up a home run against the lefty in like three years of course now i say this i like table home run to lefty on opening day but uh, <laughs> he's, he's really tough on lefties and was quite good for the uh good for the uh the rays last year and we will finish off our run through the 19 moves with a pair of one-year deals for veteran catchers Wilson Ramos goes to Detroit, where he will be replacing Austin Romine, who goes to the Cubs. I kind of forgot about Wilson Ramos like entirely. Um, the deal with the Mets ended up not working out super well, and he's going to go to a Tigers team where it's like, I don't know, are you holding space for Jake Rogers or Grayson Grenier? Like maybe. Uh, and then Austin Rogers is like a card carrying member of the International Backup Catchers Club, and he goes to the Cubs, who traded away Victor Caratini to the Padres in the U Darvish deal. So. These seem like the kind of guys who will be on a different team pretty much every year for the remainder of their careers. That sounds about right. I, I appreciate that you had no follow-up thoughts on either of those backup catchers, because uh, that is the correct reaction to learning about those deals. We will take a quick break. We'll be back with our three batter minimum, three interesting topics of the week. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually, we just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo. Or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com 
slash MLB. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers moving into our three batter minimum where we will dig into three interesting topics of the week. The first one is, as you may have just heard, we went through like 19 different free agent moves and trades. And with spring training still scheduled to start in a couple of weeks, there's still a couple of dozen free agents out there and a couple of big names. And so it sort of starts to started starting to feel like, you know, the floodgates have opened and we're going to see more. The biggest name out there, Trevor Bauer. But it also feels like Didi Gregorius as the only remaining shortstop available is probably going to go to the Phillies, maybe the Reds. Uh, Marcelo Zuna may end up on an American League team if there's not going to be any DH. I just wrote about Trevor Rosenthal, who I think is the best remaining free agent reliever out there, although there are dozens. Matt, where do you want to start? Is it is it Bauer? Like, are we just waiting for the Mets to Bauer move now because of the match trade? It seems that way. Like, you know, the the combination of the Mets not signing Brad Hand, who they'd been rumored to be involved in, and then going get Aaron Loop, who cost like, you know, a tenth of what Hand did, and then trading Steven Matz, which clears like $5 million off their payroll, seems designed to be in a position where they could sign Trevor Bauer and remain below the competitive balance tax threshold. Now, I know a lot of fans are like, well, why should you? You know, like you see a lot of analysis, like, why should fans care about this? Like, well, if the owner and the team is going to operate this way, then as a fan, if you want them to add good players, you got to care about it. You have to be mindful of it. So as it stands now, they're like somewhere between 35 and 40 million below the competitive balance tax. And it seems like it's being set up for them to sign Trevor Bauer. Um, Danny Alderson went on record earlier in the offseason saying how much he liked Bauer, which is unusual for a, for a, a GM type to comment publicly about a a player, a free agent like that. Um, and um, just, you know, it just sort of seems like that's where it's headed. There's a story in the LA Times about how the Angels aren't a fit. It's apparently because Mickey Calloway and Trevor Bauer don't like each other. Mickey Calloway, they were, they worked together. Mickey Calloway was the um, pitching coach in uh, Cleveland when Bauer was there. So apparently that's a factor. Um, so then if you're left with the Blue Jays, Mets, and Dodgers, I don't see the Blue Jays doing it, partially because they sign Springer and at some point soon they're going to, you know, their, their young players are going to be up for contract extensions and none of them are locked up as of yet. And cheer, they wait to lock them up. So they're only going to get more expensive. So it almost feels like it's the Mets or the Dodgers who've been rumored. So I don't know. What do you think? You know, I read that report in the LA times too, about Callaway and um, I had a little bit of a problem with it. Like I'm not a big fan of the way Trevor Bauer acts. Like I think he uses his platform in all the wrong ways. But he's clearly the best starting pitcher available, and the Angels desperately need one. And no disrespect to Mickey Calloway here, but if the thing that's standing between you and signing the best pitcher to help Mike Trout get to the playoffs is your pitching coach, then find another pitching coach. <laughs> like, I don't see how that's a roadblock here. I, I mean, well, that's a fair point. I get to, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a fair point. I mean, but let's say it's true, right? I mean, we didn't know that they were going to go spend that kind of money on him anyway. Um, and you kind of got into what I was going to ask, like, like who else is out there? Like the Mets, the Dodgers seem like the obvious. I'd be surprised if the Blue Jays are still going out there and spending that kind of money. And then who's left? It's like the Phillies. Are they going to do it? I, I feel like the, the market is dwindling for him. I mean, you know, he, he talks a lot about how he doesn't care where he plays and he might be interested in, in non-traditional contracts. But still, it's not like Baltimore or Pittsburgh or Colorado is going to show up with that kind of contract. Like it would be interesting if one of the NL Central teams did it. I don't think they will. So it's like it's the Mets or nobody. Because I only think the Dodgers would do it if they got him on a really good deal, the kind of deal he would not be willing to sign. Right. So at this point, 
Um, I almost feel like I would be very surprised if it's not the Mets. And if it is the Mets, um, wow, is that going to be some kind of rotation? You know, it's a similar question, too, for Gregorius. Reds, Phillies, is there anywhere else you can see as a possibility? Not really. Sort of really. Like the, the Phillies reunion is inevitable. And that's almost like, but it's almost like the Phillies, you're, you're trying to get your fan base excited for the team, like, you know, re-signing him. Does, you know, it's almost like you'd almost, you'd almost generate more excitement just by bringing in Simeon instead, just because it's someone new. And might, the fans might be more excited about, even though it may be the, the, the same level quality of player, but um, sometimes just like bringing back the same players from a team that kind of underachieved feels kind of, you know, there's something like a little sad about it. I feel like, you know, we focus so much on the free agents that they're, there still has to be like another big trade out there. And in a lot of ways, teams prefer trades because, you know, you don't have to go sign a guy to a big free agent deal. Like, yes, you have to give up prospects or talent or whatever. Uh, but in a lot of a lot of cases, you can get a guy for less than he'd be valued on the open market. And I don't know, I feel like it's chalk to go look like Trevor Story or Nolan Arenado, right? Like, I, I don't think Arenado is getting traded. Um, I don't think the Rockies want to trade Story. So I do feel like there's another trade coming, but I just haven't been able to put my finger on on what it's going to be. Yet. Like. You know, the Blue Jays could still use another starting pitcher. You know, can they get John Gray? Can they get, I don't know, Pablo Lopez? You know, are the Reds actually going to trade someone? I don't I don't think Steven Matz fills that void. I could see Chris Bryant getting traded. Um yeah. as sort of cynical as it sounds, that's one where I could see that's like if I think that like that's one that if the, the Mets didn't get Bauer, I could see a world in which they they try to swing a trade for for Bryant. Because I do think the Mets are going to make one more kind of like big move. I don't know if like if Jackie Bradley Jr. would count as that. Um, but um, I feel like that that's sort of out there. Switching gears to Azuna for a second, it's kind of, you know, the way this is playing out, you look at potential suitors for Azuna in a world where Nelson Cruz is still out there, and it feels like some team is going to get a relative bargain on one of these guys because, like, how many teams are really going to go all in on them? Because, you know, I think you, you, you might have mentioned this earlier in the podcast, even, some of the, even if they do go DH in the NL, it's hard to imagine some of these teams um, spending big on a DH, like the Mets being a perfect example. Like if they're DH in the NL, the Mets are set. So they're not going to be spending on one of these guys. Um, so th- this is probably kind of what the twins are waiting for. Like this is playing very m- much into the twins hands of like, okay, well, like there's two guys out there. There aren't a ton of suitors for either of them. So we're in good position to land one of them, depending on, you know, like who, who kind of goes out of their way to get, get the other. One. Yeah. I think they're slightly different in the sense that Cruz like literally cannot play the field like you cannot put him in the outfield and you you can with Ozuna you just shouldn't you know (laughs) so maybe you maybe you get past that for like a year if you don't know if the DH is going to be there um the other trade I was thinking of and this is a trade that's been rumored like in baseball Twitter circles for I don't know has to be at least three years and it somehow still makes sense Kyle Seager to Atlanta (laughs) like the Braves need a third baseman if you're you can play Austin Riley and left um you know that that feels like you could do that for Washington too, I guess, but I'm going to say Kyle Seager gets traded because it makes sense and because I don't like it when Jerry Depoto is this quiet. It makes me wonder what he's working on um, and if he's okay, if, if he's okay, really. Our next topic is um, the Hall of Fame or lack thereof. Earlier this week, the Hall of Fame announced that no one reached the 75% threshold. This did not come as a terribly large surprise to me. Uh, the, the three guys at the top were Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. Um, Scott Rowland got a nice big bump. I think he's like trending towards induction. Todd Helton, Billy Wagner did pretty well. I'm gonna I'm gonna save some of my thoughts on this for later because we always end our show with a rant, and my rant will be about the Hall of Fame. Uh, but I wasn't surprised by this. Uh, it was not a very fun process. It was kind of ugly and unfortunate in a lot of ways. 
And I'm actually guessing next year we're going to have a shutout as well. But, you know, we are we are in a very unfortunate time in Hall of Fame voting where it's just not super fun. Yeah, I wasn't surprised either. I think I said this in the podcast last week, the way it was trending, you know, we it, there was a strong sign that Schilling was going to lose support um, in the private votes, which is just typical. Um, he still gained support overall from the previous year, just a small bump, like one percentage point. Um, so I wasn't surprised he he fell short. Um, it only reinforced my belief that, that I, I ranted about a, a couple of episodes ago that like, Hall of Fame ballots should be kept private until after the fact because the process has become a, about hand wringing on the on the voters. It's become about the voters, not about the players. Yeah, I'm I'm going to get back to that uh, a little later on. Although, you know, like you mentioned, Schilling got the most votes. He got more votes than he did last year. He won the election basically, and he still posted a whole crybaby thing about it. Like it's it's ridiculous. But we'll get back to that in a second. Our third topic, and I felt like we should not let this go unremarked upon. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka has decided to return to Japan after seven seasons with the Yankees. And he, I think, was a really fun Yankee and a really fun uh, ball player. You know, he kind of came over with all this hype and then pretty quickly it seemed like he hurt his elbow and then reinvented his game, like pitched through it. Two All-Star games. He was the opening day starter for the Yankees four times. He got into some pretty big playoff moments. Uh, relatively popular with Yankee fans. He threw uh, 1,054 and a third innings with a 374 ERA. Uh, but I just, he was a he was a really like valuable member to have in the baseball community, and I'm going to miss him. Yeah, uh, it, it, as uh, as <laughs> as our, our uh, colleague Andrew Simon tweeted this morning, I'll miss watching Masahiro Tanaka push the boundaries of just how infrequently a pitcher can throw a fastball and still be an effective major leaguer. Here's a guy who basically recognized that he couldn't throw his fastball by people anymore and he basically stopped throwing it. He was throwing it like 25% of the time, relying mostly on a splitter and a slider. He'd become really crafty. He was never the ace kind of people expected him to be um, when he came over because he came with a ton of hype. Um, but, you know, in his rookie year, he posted a 277 ERA in 136 innings and then he had one more kind of like great year which he had a 307 ERA in 200 innings. And after that, he was just like a good, reliable pitcher. And as I've said a lot recently, like good, reliable pitchers are like, I think more valuable than ever right now, because it is so hard to get even just like slightly above average in starters who can give you like five to six innings regularly. You know who could use a good, reliable pitcher, perhaps one with experience pitching in the Bronx? No, I couldn't think of a team either. Anyway, we'll take a quick break and we will be back with each of our purpose pitches. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. 
We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriel and Matt Myers. As we do each week, we're going to finish off our show with our purpose pitch, which is really an excuse for Matt and I to each pick a topic we want to yell about and proceed to yell about it. Matt, you're up. Well, this is uh, what you know, we call prospect ranking season around here. Um, and, you know, uh, tonight, actually, Thursday night, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline is releasing its ranking of the top 100 prospects in baseball. I love prospect rankings. As I've said before on this podcast, I used to work at Baseball America and I used to rank farm systems. So I've, I have experience um, in this realm. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and it helps paint a picture of how the industry views players. But it is important to remember during prospect ranking season that prospect rankings are not destiny. Just give you an example. Um, today, to kind of help set up our ranking, Jonathan Mayo did his annual re-ranking of the prospects, the top prospects from 10 years ago, basically saying, if we knew then what we know now about how these players would turn out, how would we have ranked the prospects? And man, like, they were way off. Mike Trout was number one, and then after that, it was like basically a disaster. You had like, you know, Jeremy Hellickson, Dominic Brown, Jesus Montero, guys who just like, Hellickson was okay, but like Don Brown and Jesus Montero, just like huge busts. And then if you go and look at the re-ranking, you see all the players who were like unranked or ranked really low who ended up being superstars. So just among like the top, you know, 10 on the new re-rank, you had Jacob deGrom, Nolan Arenado, Jose Ramirez, and Christian Yelich all made the new top 10, and none of them were even ranked in the top 50 10 years ago. Now, this doesn't mean that like, you know, you know, the prospect rankers were wrong. They were going by the available information at the time. The, the thing is, it's just like, it's really hard to evaluate prospects and really hard to project how they're going to play once they get to the majors. It's part of what's like fun and exciting and variable about the whole process. But I know that sometimes I feel like fans, um, and I count myself in them, fall into the trap of being like, oh, well, this guy's ranked higher than this guy. Like it has been, it has been decided that he will have a better career. And that is really really not how it works. I encourage you to read Jonathan's piece. I appreciate the transparency of going back and showing um, how things have changed since they uh, made these rankings 10 years ago. Yeah. And some of those you can go back and think to yourself like, oh yeah, how did they miss on this guy? And then some of them, it's like, well, no, at the time, Jacob deGrom was like a college shortstop who was just transitioning to the mound. Like who would have possibly thought he'd become what he is? And they, they also, people also get a little too hung up on the exact rankings. Like, you know, if you're 13th, you're not that much better than the guy who's 14. <laughs> you know, it's like, probably I think that's, a, that's a really good point. It's sort of like putting them in, in tiers. And it's just also just like player development is not linear. People develop at different stages, especially now we've seen with pitchers and pitchers who can develop new pitches or like, you know, even add velocity later in their careers with different training regimens. Yeah. People change. Players change. <laughs> All right. I, I said I was going to have a rant about the Hall of Fame and I, I am. Um, I think everybody would agree is kind of an ugly process, not very much fun. And let me tell you, it's not going to get more fun next year when Schilling and Clemens and Bonds are in their final year of eligibility and David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez will come on. I can tell you, people will have opinions about those guys. So it's going to be ugly next year too. I don't want to really talk about like the individual reasons those players did or didn't or might not make it. But I do want to talk about the process for a second. And people are angry, but they're angry, I think, about the wrong thing. Um, I'll they're, they're angry that the writers are the ones who get to vote. And I'll be the first to admit that some of the reactions my baseball writing friends had were like a little wildly overwrought as though the weight of the literal world was on their shoulders. Um, but here's the thing. I have no problem with including more voters. If you want to give living Hall of Famers like Willie Mays or Greg Maddox or Ozzie Smith or whomever a vote, that's great. You want to include baseball historians like people from Sabre 
or people like Larry Lester who are working on Negro Leagues data, that's fine. If you want to give non-baseball writer people like Tom Tango or John Thorne or Vin Scully a vote, like, great. The, the more the merrier. Problem I have with this is you can do all that and it still won't fix the problem because there's just no consensus about these guys. Like the idea that all players think Schilling is a slam dunk is wrong. Uh, Ryan Spader, who's on Twitter at, at the Ace of Spader, just did a player Hall of Fame poll. He asked actual former players and the guys who got in were Bonds, Clemens, and Todd Helton. The idea that all fans think Bonds and Clemens should be in is wrong because everybody just yells that they cheated. I mean, the, the truth here is that these are incredibly divisive people uh, who have done some really terrible things, you know? So the only way to get around that is to make the ballot a pure statistical barrier, like minimum war. Nobody really wants that. So you can have more people, you can have a different group of people. I just don't think it's going to change anything. Uh, the only other thing I'd add is every time this comes up, People start talking about Pete Rose. No, Pete Rose is always terrible. Other people being bad does not make him less bad. I totally agree with your sentiment. It's not that would not solve the problem because as long as it's like people are like, well, it's a museum, you know, it's just treated as a museum. But that's the thing. No one treats it that way. It's treated as an honor. So being inducted to the Hall of Fame is considered an honor. And so as long as it is considered an honor and that's not going to change, anyone who is perceived to have dishonored the game in some way is going to be controversial. And that includes Schilling, and that includes Bonds and Clemens, and it includes A-Rod. Now, sometimes there are weird gray lines about players who decided to dishonor the game and others don't, but based on speculation, a lot of this have been going back to the performance enhancing drugs. But like, as long as it's an honor, that's where the disagreement is going to become. Because people think that like if someone did something to undermine the integrity of the game, either on the field or off, that's where the debate comes in. Because if it was, if it was just about like, if it was just like, let's, as you kind of Mike alluded to, let's just look at stats. Is this one of like, you know, if we said, all we care about is we want to pick, we want to, we want a museum that, that, you know, that includes the top 1% of baseball players of all time. And all you were asked or I don't care anything else. Is this one of the top 1% of baseball players of all time? You get different results, but it's, as long as it's called the hall of fame and it's very nebulous about like how you decide you get this disagreement. And yeah, that's not going away. No, I agree with that. And like I tweeted about this yesterday and my mentions were sort of evenly split between, well, let the fans vote on one side and no one who didn't play should have a voice, which is a ridiculous sentiment. But, you know, those things are completely diametrically opposed to one another. Really, the, the sentiment here is there is not one true answer. You could take the writers out of this completely and that would be fine. And I still think you'd have people arguing about Schilling and Bonds and Clemens and all of this. uh uh, as I said, I think we're going to end up with nobody next year too. And that stinks because it's just, it's, this is supposed to be fun and thinking about like, you know, the history of the game and the greatest players and partially their own fault. Like these are the guys who've done these actions uh, and it stinks and it's disappointing. One, one question for you, give you, like make you make a prediction, you know, with Kurt Schilling has now said he wants to be taken off the ballot for next year saying that, you know, he wants the veterans committee to decide, he wants former players to decide. We'll leave that be for now. Um, you know, the BBWA has said he should stay on the ballot because that's the rules and the Hall of Fame is going to decide at the next board meeting. Assuming Kurt Schilling does stay on the ballot next year, do you think, where, how many, like what percent, this year he got 71% of the votes. What percent do you think he will get next year? Uh, less. I think he'll get less. I think usually guys who get to the last ballot and they're close, they, they tend to get over, right? But I think in his case, he's got two problems here. One of them is that since he has said, don't consider me and take me off, and even though that won't happen, I think you'll have some more writers saying, well, uh, I'm not going to put up with this garbage. If he doesn't even want it anymore, then that gives me a pass to take him off. The other thing is that ballots were due at the end of December. 
and all of the controversial things he said, or, you know, he's been doing this stuff for years. He's been pulling this garbage for years. Uh, but I think it changed for a lot of people with his support of the riot at the Capitol on January 6th, right? I, you have heard people saying, well, I would have voted him before, but if I had sent him my ballot after that, I wouldn't have. And I, while well, I understand that, it's not like you just suddenly learned what kind of guy he is. But I do think now with that knowledge, that's going to hurt him. So I think he's going to get less. I don't think he's going to get in. And then I don't even know how many years it'll be, five, eight, ten, or whatever. We'll get to go through all this again when he's on the Veterans Committee ballot. Do you disagree? I think he's going to end up staying on the ballot. And I think he's going to end up actually getting way less for that reason. I think a lot of people are just going to like not bother voting for him. Are we, are we getting anybody next year? Yes, I think David Ortiz is going to get it. Interesting. So he's, he's, this is like a larger conversation that we're going to get into now, but I think he's got two big things working against him. One is he's a DH. Um, obviously, that didn't stop Edgar Martinez going in, but that'll hurt him in the minds of some people. And also, fairly or not, I tend to lean towards not fairly. Um, he's going to have some of the PED questions as well, because he was caught up in the 2003 survey testing that even the commissioner has said to basically ignore. Um, I think he's going to be the most likely, but I'm not sure I'm as confident about it as you. I'm calling it. He's getting in. All right. I hope so. Listen, hey, I would love to see David Ortiz induction speech um, because he's a lot of fun. So let's remember this podcast for a year from now and we'll see if I'm right or you're right. And uh, we'll catch you next week. And that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.